Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of March 26th through the 28th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Apologies for the day-delayed episode. Uh, things are a little bit hectic on my end. I'm well underway with my Oscar death race over on my other podcast, the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, and a new season of anime is starting up this weekend. So that's going to keep me busy for my yet another anime podcast uh, where I take a first look at all of the new shows. Plus, you know, my newly adopted dog has gotten a little bit more comfortable around this uh, to the point that he's now barking at me and demanding walks Um about four to five times a day, so there's that. Uh, over here, though, in the box office world, there were a bunch of major headlines to go through, plus anticipation for a monster-sized box office this coming weekend. Uh, let's take them all in turn, though, shall we? So the first major headline was that in light of LA and New York reopening strong, Cineworld is planning on reopening Regal Cinemas here in the States starting this weekend, uh, with select locations opening April 2nd, just in time for Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, and more by April 16th for Mortal Kombat, with plans to be fully open by the end of May. However, buried within that headlines of Regal Cinemas reopening was perhaps a more significant move. Uh, in a similar fashion to Universal making a deal with AMC and Cineplex to have an abbreviated 17-day window for smaller films, uh, Regal Cinemas signed a deal with Warner Brothers regarding future theatrical windows. While the HBO Max streamer will still have their day and date theatrical releases for on both in theaters and on HBO Max for the rest of the 2021 slate as expected, Regal was able to secure a commitment to a 45-day theatrical window for multiple years in the future uh, with a variable 31 to 45-day window in the United Kingdom depending on the size of the film. While there aren't any announcements yet for similar deals with other exhibition chains at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers makes the same sort of deal with AMC and Cineplex and other exhibitors in the near future since Paramount has also secured a 45-day theatrical window before films can come to Paramount+. Plus. While long gone, I think, are the days of the 90-day theatrical window pre-pandemic, I think that securing a deal with Warner Brothers to back off from the day-and-date release will be a huge deal for exhibition moving forward. Uh, and, you know, I think this this is a kind of a win-win all around, right? Like, the studios still get to have, you know, the, the their streaming platforms stocked with new films a little bit sooner than six months. But, you know, the theatrical windows are, are still going to be there. And frankly, you know, this isn't a bad deal for Warner Brothers, right? Like, we'll get into Godzilla versus Kong numbers from international in a little bit, but, you know between because that they've been able to release films on HBO Max uh, with rather with the safety net of HBO Max and release them in theaters uh, when no one else is they're basically reaping the benefits and they'll likely be the first studio to hit a billion dollars globally post pandemic um, that's not even counting the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League which again I'm not going to wade into that whole fandom fight of whether or not the film actually was a success for HBO Max in terms of number of subscri subscribers gained since its release and whether or not they should continue the Snyderverse or not, partly because most of the article and news out there seems to be more clickbait news than anything else, partly because I'm just not interested in, in that at the moment. So anyway, uh, all of this happened last Tuesday or so, early on in the day. And you know, I was actually feeling pretty optimistic about where the box office would turn uh, out for the summer season. For heck, I was, you know, as much shit as, as I gave Warner Brothers over the past couple of months, over the stunt they pulled last December, pulling the rug out from underneath uh, the various talent out there, and how this is like not a great move. You know, I'm I'm willing to give them credit that you know they've done they've they've managed to pull this out, and you know, moving back to the 45 day window is a good move. 
And then of all people, Disney came in to crush our hopes and dreams by noon of the same day last week. So in the press release, Disney first decided to move back a number of films. Uh, Black Widow moved from May 7th to July 9th. Uh, Free Guy moved from May 12th. 21st to August 13th, Shang-Chi moved from July 9th to September 23rd, The Kingsman moved from August 20th to December 22nd, Deep Water moved from August 13th to January 14th, 2022, and Death on the Nile moved from September 17th to February 11th, 2022. And beyond moving, you know, dates down, if they move it down, that's fine. We can we can deal with that. But what's more, and they did what I thought and I think many others thought they wouldn't do. They put Black Widow on Premiere Access on July 9th, again, both theatrically and in on Premiere Access, as well as the upcoming Cruella live action film starring Emma Stone coming on May 28th. The cherry on top of all this, though, is that for their summer Pixar film, Luca, uh, while it's still releasing on June 18th, it will not be having a theatrical release. Uh, instead, it's going to be pulling a Disney Plus exclusive like, like they did with Soul, uh, where that will be the only places available in countries where Disney Plus is available. Of course, you know, in China and other countries, Luca will still come to theaters. <sighs> okay, so let's take a deep breath and break down this bombshell that Disney gave us. First off, Black Widow getting uh, getting pushed back and moving to Premier Access. Uh, again, with news of LA and New York reopening well to the point that Regal is comfortable reopening again, I was still betting on Disney sticking with the May 7th release date and keeping it theatrical only. Maybe, you know, if something worse to chase, maybe they have an abbreviated theatrical release before moving to Disney+. Plus, um, or, you know, maybe having, you know, Maybe if they maybe doing premiere access on May seventh, if they were still not quite comfortable with where vaccines would be, or if they were to push it back, you know, to keep it yet cool exclusive. But I would expect them to do both. So why? There are a couple of theories come to mind here. First off, again, while vaccinations here in the states is pacing well along, and China has more or less recovered from COVID at this point, it's not like those two markets are all that matter. Much of Europe, uh, especially you know Black Widow coming from a European country, uh, you know much of Europe is still under lockdown, especially as COVID variants proliferate across the Atlantic, uh, while vaccination strug- efforts struggle over there. So perhaps a fear regarding the lack of the European market is at play here. Um, There have also been rumors that the Black Widow film kind of isn't up to par compared to a lot of the other MCU films lately. So perhaps the perceived quality of the film, especially after, you know, what, two-year delay that everyone's been hearing about it and the hype might have died down for a little bit, might lead to a weaker box office that isn't 100% recovered and that might have scared the studio. Now... I don't buy that fully, but what I do think is I think there might be a desire to have a more robust, uh, call it an A-B test, of how much money can really be made, or more precisely, how much money from theatrical would not be lost if Premiere Access was available uh, when it came out in theaters. Which one would consumers pursue, going to, to theaters or watching it at home? Uh, and maybe, you know, they, they wanted to push it back to a time when theaters were more accessible, when more people were vaccinated, so they could have a legitimate test, right? If you think about it, right, like, let's say... You they put it in Premier Access, right? And they still hit the numbers that they were expecting to see in theaters uh, without, you know, losing out on what, what the expectations would have been uh, because Premier Access was available. That's great for them, and they may continue Premier Access in the future for this kind of thing. On the other hand, if they want to see, they end up seeing, okay, people can go to theaters more or less freely at this point, but, you know, 
the numbers that we were expecting are lower than we expected. Maybe it's because theaters are not happy with us and they're you know maybe not agreeing to run uh, you know Black Widow uh, in theaters. Um, that might be a reason for that. Like kind of like what they did with Raya. You know that might be a case where you know they end up after this test deciding okay Premier Access isn't going to work. Um, and you know if if. Black Widow isn't kind of like the most crucial for the next phase of the MCU, like Sanctuary introducing a new character might be, or Doctor Strange and the and and the Secrets of Madness. It's, again, spoilers for you know what a two year old movie at this point. Endgame, Black Widow is no longer around, right? Like if Black Widow is going to be a sacrificial lamb, uh, because it doesn't really have a further plot point going on from it, then you know I think that might be like the conservative thing for for Disney to do, um, if they're going to do that. Now, we mentioned Raya real quickly, and you know, while we still don't and probably won't ever have data regarding exactly how much Raya and the Last Dragon was purchased via Premier Access, according to some data sources, and Antenna specifically, they suggested that about 20% fewer people purchased Raya than the live action Mulan remake last year, so it doesn't sound like it was that much of excess. Though, again, the exact economics of how much, uh, how many tickets from a movie are equivalent to a single Premier Access purchase is equivalent for Disney. We don't know what those numbers are and how it matches up. Uh, in any case, though, you know, the Black Window move feels, again, to me, less like they're trying to hedge against the pandemic, like, you know, moving things back last year was about, and more about trying to set up this experiment to see, you know, how much they can get away with Disney Plus Premier Access. And to a lesser degree, Cruella will also be like that. Though, again, as a live-action remake film, it's a little bit below, a tier below what the MC film could offer for this experiment. Okay, the other big announcement was that, you know, Disney from Disney was that Luca would be coming to Disney Plus only uh, and not having a theatrical release where Disney Plus was available. Again, by midsummer here in the States, vaccines should be most of the way out and, you know, some semblance of normality back. So, you know, I can again, 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 I can imagine because this is a film set in Italy and, you know, Italy and Europe in general are not going to be, you know, as recovered um, because of the, the vaccine rollout there. They're not going to have the European market. That might be a bigger deal for this film otherwise. Um, again, I think it's less about pandemic avoidance and more about feeding this Disney Plus beast machine. Um, specifically, I think, given the timing that it's a little bit after when Hamilton came out to Disney Plus, or around then, um, you know, about a year ago, there are two things at play here. One, you know, similar to how they released Soul a few weeks before the first anniversary, after the first anniversary of Disney Plus launching to try to retain subscribers, you know, oh, you could stop subscribing now, but if you say subs if you subscribe again, you'll be able to, you know, get, uh, be able to watch Soul for free. This may be a ploy to get those Hamilton uh, subscribers to stay again for another year and maybe longer, right? Um, so that might be the case. The other factor I see is that I imagine Disney feels that, you know, they probably need to have a mix of, you know, the paid premier access premium films, you know, the Black Widows, presumably, and, and Mulan and Raya and, and so on. Um, but, you know, they also want to have some free ones. And the thing is, right, the free ones so far, aside from Hamilton and Soul, have been not that great, right? Like, they're Ivan, Ivan, one and only Ivan, Artemis Fowl, right? Like, so about every six months, they feel they need to give, like, a free movie. But it has to be, like, a good free movie. Um, and, you know, Pixar, I think, is not quite at the financial scale of what 
uh, a, an MCU film would do. Um, but it's, you know, I some people might say a higher quality than what like a Disney animated film might be like Ryan the Last Dragon. So uh, in that case, you know, it's in that awkward tier where they get sacrificed to kind of, again, feed the Disney Plus Beast Machine. Uh, reportedly, this has hurt morale over at Pixar uh, as they feel that, you know, it, it's kind of an insult, right? Like they're not even worth charging for. Uh, hopefully, though, I really hope that we get to see Pixar films on the big screen uh, sooner rather than later. As for the other announcements from Disney, again, everything moving back in the wake of Black Widow more or less makes sense. Sanxi doesn't make the full leap to uh, 2022, um, suggesting that you know they don't want to impact the 2022 MCU release schedule just yet, uh, which begins with you know Doctor Strange film uh, in March. So you know the move of Sanxi to February uh, would be a little bit too close for that probably. Uh, the Eternals and Spider-Man films also didn't move. Uh, the former is kind of their awards contender, so you know they don't really want to move it out of that holiday season. Um, and again, Spider-Man is a joint venture with Sony, so they just can't move that rule. Nilly. Uh, as for the 20th century films, you know, the Kingsmen move, 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 make it the new New Mutants and how many times it's moved. And Death of the Nile being pushed back is kind of understandable given, you know, the recent allegations against Arnie Hammer. And, you know, it doesn't sound like Disney might be trying to do a recast, but who knows what they're going to do. Maybe they might just end up dumping it on Hulu, uh, which is the same. I really did love the first uh, Henry Poirot film that they have. Um, another interesting note, uh, the Jungle Cruise film uh, is still coming out on July 30th, planning to be theatrical exclusive um, and some of the and you know some of the other indie films or even animated films like Encanto on November 24th are not moving as well um, so you know this is a really weird move by Disney in my mind I can make reasons for it that make sense but again they're the only ones who know the real reasons why uh, now, before we get to the final headline, some other smaller titles, uh, specifically new movies and new movie date news. Uh, HBO Max and Warner are pushing Mortal Kombat back a week to April 23rd from April 16th. Uh, part of this is probably to give Godzilla vs. Kong more breathing room uh, and longer legs, especially since uh, with Black Widow out of the picture, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat legs won't be as cut off as another action film. Um, but also, I think, you know, it, it, the timing is, again, similar to the case that I am speculating with Luca, um, that people who sign on to HBO Max for the Snyder Cut, um, you know, their one-month subscription will end before uh, Mortal Kombat comes out. So, you know, anyone who wanted to see Mortal Kombat and also the Zack Snyder film, they'd have to subscribe for two months instead of just one. Uh, let's see. Scott Pilgrim is coming back to theaters for a 10th anniversary run uh, with Dolby Sound on April 30th. Uh, let's see. Spiral from the Book of Saw moved up a week from May 14th to May 14th from May 21st, uh, giving it a bit of bu a buffer from A Quiet Place 2 and another Conjuring film, you know, both horror films, while again also not having to deal with Black Widow. Uh, Lionsgate has set The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard to June 16th for this year. Uh, and then Venom, Let There Be Carnage, was pushed back to September 24th from September 17th. Likely, I think, so it wouldn't be as close to the other superhero film, Shang-Chi, that will be coming out. Though now it gets a little bit closer to Dune so, and, and No Time to Die, so that's interesting there. Um, now, some cancellations from Paramount. Uh, the Tomorrow War uh, is canceled from July 23rd. My Little Pony from September 24th, which I think is from the, went to Netflix. Um, and then another paranormal activity film from 2022. Um, I think aside from the My Little Pony film, I think these are mostly meant to bolster Paramount Plus down the line. Um, and then also Black Adam from the DC film universe is now dated for July 29th, 2022. Uh, another some new new movie news. Uh, Disney is not only working on a National Treasure TV series for Disney Plus; they're also working on National Treasure Three. Uh 
what, what, 14 years after the last one, with the, the original cast returning. So it's time to watch Nick Cage steal the Declaration of Independence again. Uh, in Oscar news, well, Oscar is news, uh, Oscar-nominated director Emerald Fennell, who wrote and directed uh, Oscar nominee Promising Young Woman, has been tapped to write a Zatanna film for DC Films. Uh, and not quite new news, but the Suicide Squad film from James Gunn dropped this past week and is looking pretty nutty, looking forward to that one. Alright, so for our final headline, we need to talk about the the massive, monstrous, international box office numbers of one Godzilla vs. Kong film. Uh, but before that, let's get to this week's domestic box office numbers, uh, which lead to some very amusing headlines. Uh, in first place, we have Nobody. Not that there's nobody in the first place spot. Uh, it's rather, it's the Bob Odenkirk film from Universal entitled Nobody, uh, which, again, led to a fun, bunch of fun articles such as how nobody got an A- minus on CinemaScore last week. Uh, anyway, this film got six, nobody got 6.8 million in 2004, and no, and 2,463 uh, 2, sold nobody in nobody's first week for a per theater average of 2,772. Ironically, nobody made 5.2 million for a total of 12 million dollars worldwide. Uh, for an R-rated action film, that seems pretty good, especially after the director's previous film, which was the somewhat revolutionary, if you know, somewhat dizzying, hardcore Henry, uh, which was again a, a bit of an experimental action film, disappointed at the box office last time uh, with Bob Odin. Kirk kind of taking his take on the John Wick formula. This one seems apparently pretty good. Uh, let's see, in second place, Ryan the Last Dragon from Disney dropped 27% in week 4 to $3.7 million domestically in 2,212 theaters per theater average of $1,701. Domestically, it's made $28.6 million to date with an international total of $62 million, uh, putting its lifetime total at just under $91 million lifetime. Uh, in third place, Tom and Jerry from Warner Brothers sits at $2.5 million, a 35% drop in 2,464 theaters for a pre theater average of $1,019 in week five. Domestically, total sits at $37 million to date with $48 million worldwide for a lifetime total of $85 million. In fourth place, Chaos Walking continues its, its week four for $1.2 million in 2036 theaters for a per theater average of $594 for a 37% drop. Uh, domestic total sits at $11.5 million with another $5 million abroad leading to $16.5 million lifetime. And rounding out the top five, knocking Crude's The New Age finally out of the top five in their 18th weekend, uh, is The Courier from Worldside Attractions in their week two. They made just over $1 million in 1,641 theaters, uh, for a 45% drop and a per theater average of $637. Domestic total, now $3.5 million with another 300000 from abroad, putting it at just under $4 million lifetime. Overall, domestic total is $18.5 million, $1.1 million from Los Angeles, with 3.1,000 out of 5.8,000 theaters across the country reopened. Uh, capacity limits on those as well, though uh, yesterday, Los Angeles moved the capacity of theaters to 50% from 25% starting on Monday. 
Now, the big upcoming film is, of course, Godzilla vs. Kong, which comes to U.S. theaters today, uh, you know, Wednesday the 31st, uh, ahead of the long Easter weekend, with estimates I've seen of $45 million over the five-day weekend here um, being possible. Currently, it sits at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and with IMAX and Dolby screenings here at the AMC and Times Square sold out, plus Regal reopening some theaters, the Kaiju battle will take place in over 3,000 locations, the most of any... Uh, film to date post-pandemic. Funnily enough, even though I have HBO Max to be able to watch this at home, I think I'm going to wait. I think this is a film that definitely should be seen on the big screen. Uh, again, for me, I definitely want to see it on the true IMAX over at the Lincoln Center AMC. This, of course, leads to our final big headline of the week, uh, the international box office numbers for Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, setting a post-pandemic record of $123 million in 38 markets for a not monstrous debut. Uh, in comparison, Wonder Woman 1984 opened to $38.5 million in its opening weekend, and Tenet opened in 50, $53 million internationally. Uh, we'll get to China specifically in a little bit, but uh, there it opened to 70 million totals, beating the 66 million total of Godzilla, King of the Monsters from 2019, though it's slightly behind the Kong Skull Island's $73 million over the same three-day weekend. Um, every market it did open it, it was at number one. Uh, you know, aside from China, the top markets were in order: Mexico with six point five million dollars, uh, Australia at six point three million, Russia at five point nine million, and Taiwan at five point three million to round out the top five. Uh, this of all, of all, of course, sets the expectation for, at least in my mind, hopefully a continuation of the MonsterVerse. Uh, whenever director Adam Wingard gets back from directing Thundercats for Warner Brothers, funnily, uh, funny how Netflix was planning on trying to sell this to Netflix for. $250 million when it might have made that much uh, in only two weekends. Uh, moving to China specifically, again, we noted the number one film was Godzilla vs. vs. Kong at $70 million. Pre-sales for Friday were at $7.3 million and had made $20 million by 8.45 p.m. on Friday local time, beating Wonder Woman 1984 and Crew 3's entire three-day opening weekend in just one evening. Uh, Saturday saw a 25% jump to $25 million uh, based on good word of mouth. Estimates for Mao Yan, which has, has it rated at 9 out of 10, uh, will be about 140 1 million US dollars over its lifetime over in China. Now, the rest of the Chinese box office is pretty small uh, compared in comparison. Everything's small against Godzilla versus Kong, uh, making eighty with Godzilla versus Kong making eighty percent of the total box office. Uh, High Mom made three point six million to get to 800, $818 million lifetime. Avatar re-release made three point four million. Andy Lau's Endgame made one point nine million to get to one hundred fourteen million lifetime. And Ryan the Last Dragon made nine hundred seventy nine thousand U.S. dollars uh, to get to eighteen point five million lifetime in. China to date. So, some other international headlines worth mentioning not related to Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, in China, Lord of the Rings re-release is officially confirmed to start next week on Monday, April 4th, with The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, with The Two Towers coming on April 16th, and Return of the King on April 23rd. The fourth Evangelion film uh, officially hit 6 billion yen in Japan. Now it's officially the highest grossing film of the franchise. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sin Ultraman, a reimagining of the classic tokusatsu series written by Hideaki Anu, director of both uh, the Evangelion series and arguably the best Godzilla film, Sin Godzilla, has officially been delayed due to COVID. And a new benchmark for Demon Slayer. It just hit 39 billion yen in Japan this past weekend. Uh, the now question is, will I that April 23rd release here? in the States and whether or not it'll be able to push this film to the number one film from 2020 over the 800s total or not. 
And finally, some miscellaneous news just around the industry uh, to round out the episode. Uh, NBC is apparently planning a second streaming service called Universal Stream. Um, I think it's meant to take advantage of the Universal brand overseas, which is more well-known than Paramount. Uh, or sorry, more than, than, than NBC, excuse me. Uh, well, you know, while Glue, Peacock would still be more domestic. Not sure how that would work given, you know, they, they how much money they've put into Peacock that doesn't seem to be working for them financially. Um, meanwhile, a while back, we had announced that Sony had acquired anime streamer Crunchyroll for about a cool billion dollars to join their Funimation anime streaming service. But they're running into a small hiccup. Uh, it's been, the acquisition has been delayed due to an antitrust probe from the U.S. Justice Department. Uh, too soon to see the outcome of that, that but interesting nonetheless. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and finally, some lighthearted news. Florida man breaks Guinness World Record for most times watching a single film in theaters by watching Avengers Endgame 191 times. The previous record holder had seen it 103 times. That's it. That's the tweet. Uh, and with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Suit me ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review or at the very least tell a friend uh, any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which lets me not make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on that I mentioned at the top of the show. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.